Welcome to Reconciled Church Miami, Pastor Aldo Leon. Heavenly Father, we, we approach this book knowing that we can't master it, it must master us. We can't figure it out, it must figure us out. You must speak to us, Holy Spirit, you must interpret it for us, you must move us. So God, we're here, day one, verse one, saying, Holy Spirit, please open up the treasures of Christ in this book to your church. And God, I pray that we would experience acts in this church. That as we exalt Christ as he is, that you would be pleased to build up your people and add to your church as you have been doing. In Jesus' name, amen. So let me read the text first. It's Acts 1, 1 to 5. I wrote the first narrative, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up after he had given orders through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After he suffered, he also presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them about 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While he was together with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise. This, he said, is what you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So I think in our world, particularly like the world of the millennial generation, uh, we have this sense of belonging to something larger than ourselves. The reason why there's sports teams that have multi-million dollar stadiums, the reason why there's fraternities, the reason why there's all these collective things of these greater sum of parts is because deep down in the human soul, we realize that we must be a part of something really big, bigger than us. And so what Acts is going to do for us is to show us that that longing as humans to be a part of something big is not found anywhere on earth, but it is found in the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Christ, which has been inaugurated, brought about by the gospel of Christ. So we need to be a part of something big. We need to be defined by something big. We just can't be living our little American lives by ourselves. And Acts is going to tell us about this wonderful, massive, Christ-centered kingdom that God has brought about and he is bringing us into. So I want to answer the question, why is this kingdom so big and why is it so impressive? Like, what about it makes it so different and unique? And that's how I'm going to kind of hang my point. So, so here's the first reason why the kingdom of God illustrated and shown in Acts is so big. First reason. Because the kingdom is how done is still doing all the doing. Listen closely. The kingdom is how done is still doing all the doing. Look what it says in verse 1. I wrote the first narrative, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach. So Paul is saying, um, Luke is saying, this is a second narrative of what Jesus began to do and teach. Meaning that Luke... The gospel of Luke is about the things that Jesus did and taught, part one. But Luke is saying that Acts is still about the things that Jesus is doing and teaching. You, you catch that? Act one about Jesus works. Acts two about Jesus works now in the church. And so I think sometimes we see the book of Acts and we think Acts is about what the church did after Christ. But actually, actually, 
Acts is about what Christ did in the gospel is still doing in the church. That's a better way of describing it. Or we could talk about Acts like, hey, Acts is about what the church is doing now, here. And Luke is saying, no, 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 Acts is about what Christ did thousands of years ago is still doing in the church. And let me give you a very practical example to hang your head on. Any, any, of, you, any of you ever been to California? You know what's amazing about California? Like, there's no water. Like, it barely rains. It's not like Miami where it rains all the time. But yet, there's all this stuff growing everywhere. You know why there's so much growth in California, even though there's no rain? Because there was volcanic explosions long, long, long time ago. And because of those explosions that happened a long time ago that made the soil really rich, so the doing of the volcanic explosions that is really old is still doing things in the soil, and that's why there's so much growth. This is what Luke is saying to us. The volcanic explosion of the gospel of Christ has deposited in the church a rich soil that is continuing to grow. Acts is not a book about all the marvelous things Christians are now doing after Christ, beloved. Acts is about how the majesty of Christ's finished work is continuing to do and work on Christians that trust him. This kingdom is about how what the king has done is not done and is still doing, which is why the title of the series is The Gospel is Finished but Not Finished. It's kind of like a strange paradox, right? So this kingdom is first about how Christ has done something that is still doing something to us. Second thing about the kingdom that makes it so amazing is the kingdom is about the spirit and speech, Holy Spirit and God's words. Verse 2, until the day he was taken up after he had given orders through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. So Acts is about how the kingdom of God is moving presently through the words of Christ that God gave to his apostles that is being empowered by the Holy Spirit. So words from God in the mouths of the apostles empowered by the Holy Spirit is how this kingdom is moving. Let me give you a very tangible illustration to kind of show this. And it's like this. Uh, you know how some people in life can be very successful very successful personally, very, you know, physically fit and, and, and attractive, uh, very accomplished, and yet they still have very low self-esteem. Met people like that? Well, the reason why that is, is that a long time ago, there was someone in their life, maybe a parent, that said things like, you're a loser, you're hideous, you're this and that. And it's interesting. These people have accomplish all these things in their presence. There's all these, they have, you know, family and things to be enjoying. And yet, those words spoken to them is the power that controls their life more than anything else. You know what I'm talking about? Now, let's positively spin that. That's what Acts is about. Acts is about the power in the church. It's not what the church has, most necessarily, but the power in the church is the power of the words of God empowered by the Holy Spirit. 
So listen, this, this is so important for us because you know what I, I think? How are we going to be, go, and do the church? And I think this is how we think. We think we're going to be who we are by having celebrity pastors and preachers. We think we're going to go where we need to go by being financially prosperous and having lots of money and having nice buildings and having lots of people. That's the power in the church, right? People, budgets, celebrities, buildings. That's why people spend so much time on these things. Or we think, you know, we're going to be the church by how wise we are, how smart we are, how clever we are, how relevant we can be, how, you know, whatever it is. But beloved, you know what God is saying to us? You know how this kingdom is going to move in this, in this world? By the power of the gospel's testimony about Christ and power by the Holy Spirit, not in all those things. Now, those things are important. Hey, we need people, we need budgets, we need buildings. But that's not the power of God's kingdom. The power of God's kingdom is in words about the king. Words like this. But God proves his own love for us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be propitiation for our sins. If anyone sins, we have an advocate, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, who's the propitiation for our sins, not only ours, but the whole world. He raised us up and seated us in heavenly places so that in the coming ages he might describe to us the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness in Christ Jesus. For God so... Beloved, this is the power of the kingdom. The power of the kingdom is in the words about the king and power by the spirit. So you know what, church? We have everything we need. Even though we lack in a lot of areas, we lack finances, we lack people, we lack all sorts of things. We lack cleverness and relevance and all these things. But, 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 but we have the spirit of God and the speech of the apostles. And so we have all that we need because the kingdom is about spirit and speech. Third thing about this kingdom, beloved, let me, let me just say one more picture. The kingdom is like, the kingdom of God is like a pistol. There's only two things that make a pistol shoot and do lots of damage. Gunpowder and spike, a spark. Two things. Something, two very simple things do something very dramatically damaging and catastrophic, beloved. The spirit and speech are those two simple things that God has given us in the church. So here's the third thing. The kingdom is about Christ, the new man, or the last Adam, however you want to say that. After he had suffered, he also presented himself alive to them by many convincing truths, proves, appearing to them 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So listen, Jesus is talking about the kingdom, and as he's talking about the kingdom, he's presenting himself alive to them. Now, that's very careful language. Luke is saying that the kingdom of God is about the resurrected king himself. That's what the kingdom is. It's about Christ being the last and final Adam, the resurrected king, priest, and prophet. The whole kingdom is about the king himself. That's the focus. Which is why... The 40-day conversation is Jesus preventing him, presenting himself to them. So, beloved, let, 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 me, let, me, let me just break this down. 
the kingdom of God is not primarily about having a better life. The kingdom of God is not primarily about having better marriages, better financial situations. The kingdom of God, beloved, is not even, I'm sorry, the kingdom of God is not even essentially about fixing the world and making all the problems in the world go away. That's not what the kingdom of God is essentially about. And I will say the kingdom of God is not essentially about having the right ethics or morality, even though the kingdom of God is involved in those things. Or the kingdom of God, for the Miami church, need to understand, it's not about miracles, signs, and wonders that happen in the church, so-called. That's not what it's about, beloved. The kingdom is about Christ himself. That's the point. Listen, why are you going on vacation? You go on vacation because it's about hotels and meals and beaches. Is that why you go on vacation? No, you go on vacation to be with people. So all those things are just the surrounding circumstantial things that surround being with people. Beloved, this king, this kingdom is all about having Christ, enjoying Christ, knowing Christ, being with Christ, living in Christ, living because of Christ, loving Christ. That's what this is about. This is not about better life and this and that and how God, how to. No, the essential thing about this kingdom is that Christ the king is the point. And if we're doing church for any other reason, beloved, we have missed it. Beloved, the kingdom is about how the wonder and beauty and marvel of our beloved king is yours to enjoy in the church. And all those other things which are significant, they are a part, are not the essence or centrality of it. It's just it's the details. Here's another thing, number four about this kingdom. And I actually think I might be, this actually might be a shorter sermon. I can't say that. It's too soon to say that. It might be shorter. Because I broke up this sermon into two parts. It was originally one part and it was like, oh, it's too long. So maybe it'll be shorter. I don't know. We'll see. Point number four. What is so awesome about this kingdom? The kingdom has been given to us. It has been given to us. Look at verse three. After he suffered and presented himself alive to them, he spoke about the kingdom. So listen, listen, listen. Um, the kingdom being discussed after Luke says Jesus suffered and was resurrected is Luke saying to us is that the way we're a part of this kingdom is because God gave it to us because Christ suffered and was resurrected. We received it. Why? Because Christ earned it. The kingdom of God is received based upon what Christ has earned, not achieved based upon what his people provide and do. That's not what it's about. It's given to us. Now, let me give you an illustration. Two kinds of people. The first kind of person comes to a job interview. And they say, well, I have this resume. I have this experience. And I promise I can do these things for you. And I have these references. And the boss says, all right. I'm going to hire you and recruit you to my Microsoft or whatever kingdom. That's the first one. And I think that's oftentimes how I hear the church sounding, how people sound. I heard this uh, famous pastor say, unless you are willing to put Jesus first in your entire life all the time, you're not a Christian. Did you hear what he just said? 
Your Christianity, your kingdom participation is determined by you having the capacity to put the king first all the time. Now, I think we should always want to put the king first. But if we say what we provide the king, the worship we provide him, the love we provide him is the reason that we're in. We have missed something essential about this kingdom, beloved. This kingdom is given to us by Christ and what he has earned for us. Look, let me give you the second person that comes into the, to the interview. They're like, you know what? <laughs> Here's my resume. There's nothing on it. And by the way, I have no experience. And by the way, I, I saw the job listing. Uh, and and I, I don't think I can do any of the job tasks. And the boss says, hired. Beloved, that's what this kingdom is about. Because you get hired, you become a part of the kingdom because the boss's credentials is what provides what's necessary for the job. Jesus' obedience gets us in the kingdom and keeps us in. Jesus sacrificed for our sins where he takes every law-breaking thing that we have done, cancels out on his body under the wrath of God, is what gets us in. Jesus being raised from the dead, triumphant, being the righteous God-man who gets our status and new creation blessing is what gets us in. God gives us the Holy Spirit. He gives adoption. He gives us gifts. He gives us eternal life. And because the king gives us all of his provisions and his son, we get to be a part of this kingdom. That's what this king kingdom is about, beloved. It's given to us. Love it. We get in this thing, we stay in this thing because Jesus' resume is our resume. Listen, you know the voice? You know the voice? You know, come on, you, don't you guys watch that stuff? I don't watch that stuff. That's boring to me. It is the voice. Beloved, the kingdom is not the voice. The kingdom, beloved, is the will, last will and testament by a father who has passed away to his kids. The kids get all the inheritance and benefits because the father has died and entrusted them to his kids, not because of them, but because of the father's generosity. So we are not a part of, we're not the, we're not the voice kingdom. We are something else. So here's, here's another thing I would say. The kingdom has been given, number four. Here's, here's, a, here's a number, point number five. The kingdom, beloved, has arrived already. The kingdom has arrived already. Look at this in verse three. After he suffered, he also presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them for 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Did you hear what, did you hear what just Luke just said? What was... What was Jesus speaking to them about? About what? The kingdom of God coming someday? Is that what Luke says? It's about the kingdom of God being there. Beloved, Jesus is saying, and Luke is saying, is that the kingdom of God has already arrived in the king's life, death, and resurrection. It's already arrived. And I think in America, we talk about the kingdom primarily oftentimes as it's something that's going to come in some millennial kingdom a thousand, for a thousand years in Israel. Is that fair to say? 
that's when the kingdom's going to come. When Jesus comes back and he sets up some physical kingdom on earth. It's kind of like a, you know, like when a, when a bad team gets draft picks and they get the draft picks that they need to win, but they still need to, they still need to get better for a long time. That's how we talk about the kingdom. Like, like when Jesus came and when he lived and when he died and he was resurrected, nothing really happened. You know, all, all that happened when Jesus came the first time is we kind of get forgiveness of sins. We get to go to heaven someday and we get to live better lives with Jesus' help. That's kind of how we talk about it. But, but beloved, you know what Jesus is saying? Is that the kingdom of God in the work of Christ has come into the present already. The king now is ruling over reality. The king now has conquered, beloved, sin, death, hell, and the devil. Now. He has. In Revelation chapter 5, the king is ruling and reigning over reality by virtue of him being slaughtered for sinners. Now the king is unleashing the power of his dominion on earth. Now he's claiming his subjects and earning for himself a kingdom. It's arrived, beloved. It's, it's here. And then you say, well, you know what? Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on a second. Hold on a second. Hold on a second, Aldo. How can you say that kind of stuff? It doesn't look like that, right? You guys, any guys, uh, history people, history buffs? When was the battle really won in World War II? What was the defining moment that won the battle? On, 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 on in Europe, not Japan. You remember D-Day? When they won the beach? So when the uh, Allied troops conquered the beaches of Germany on D-Day, that was pretty much when it was over. And the rest of the time, there were still battles, there were still issues, there were still conflicts, but the battle, the war was really won when that beach was claimed on D-Day. Now, you see where I'm going with this? But when, did, when did Christ claim the beach that won the war in the kingdom of God. When he lived a life that sinners should live, when he died a death that sinners should die, when he was raised, Jesus stormed the beach on the hill of Golgotha in Calvary and he won, earned, and triumphed and brought about the kingdom in the present. But we're not waiting for the kingdom in a sense. We're in the kingdom and now we're just waiting for that fullness to be experienced but Jesus has brought that about. The king now is ruling and reigning in his kingdom that he has now accomplished. And so listen, you know what that also means, beloved? That also, you know how people, you know, I hear this all the time. We're building the kingdom. We're building the kingdom because we're going here and we're like, you know, feeding the homeless and we're building the kingdom because, beloved, you're not building anything. Jesus built the kingdom, and he's inviting us to live in his house that he has built. We're not, he, he's brought it about. He has earned a kingdom, created a kingdom by his gospel work, and now he's calling us to receive it and be a part of it and live in it. We're not bringing it about, beloved. So here's, and, and this, this kind of, this, lat, this next point kind of builds on the last one. The kingdom is arrived already, according to Acts. Fifth, fifth, fifthly, the kingdom is invisible. It's invisible. We don't really see it. After he had suffered, he presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them for 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. 
Beloved, do you, what do you think the disciples would have thought when Jesus was explaining them the kingdom is here in himself? And what, what would they have seen? You know what they would have seen? Hey, Jesus, hello, uh, the Roman, the pagan Roman empires are still ruling over us. What are you talking about? The kingdom is here. Hey, hey, Jesus, um, you know, you know, those Pharisees who were involved in your crucifixion, they're still kind of in power in Jerusalem. Hey, Jesus, most of the world is, doesn't look like it's under your jurisdiction. It doesn't look like that. It's not obvious. I mean, remember, let me use the illustration that I gave to you a long time ago. Remember, I told you when you walk into the house and you see a man in there and he's, you know, he's the man, he's on the couch. And you look at that man, and you're like, that's not the guy in power in the house. And you look at the wife, you know, the one, she's, she's, oh, you know, she seems like she's got things locked down. And, and, and I said, that's not the one in power in that house. I said, you know who's in power in that house? Over there in the corner, there's like this little, there's this little two-foot creature with a name. Like, he's, he or she's in power. The most unobvious person is the definition and kind of center of power in that place. Beloved, that's what Jesus is telling us, that this kingdom is not something that is visibly obvious to the world, even though it's real. It's not visibly obvious. And this is so important for us to Americans, because we think the kingdom is going to be obvious by how moral and Christian our government is, right? Which is why when Trump was elected, and I, I'm not being anti-Trump or pro-Trump, I heard a bunch of Christians that the kingdom of God wins. Are you serious? You think our kingdom is seen by a somewhat religious guy being in the White House? No, beloved. It's not based upon who's in office. It's not based upon how our government is. It's... In, Here's one thing I heard one time. I heard this, this, this lady, she's a really sweet lady. She's like, oh, you see Miami, you see Homestead, there's churches everywhere, and look at the neighborhoods. The neighborhoods are all run down. So her assumption was that the kingdom of God is determined by how nice neighborhoods are and how less crime there is. Beloved, the kingdom of God is not defined and determined by the visibility of how society is. You know how wretched Roman society was when Acts was written? It was hideous. And yet, it did not define, determine the power and preeminence of the king's kingdom because it's not defined by that. Listen, the book of Revelation is all about how the world's going to hell and Christ is triumphing in his church. Now how the church is making the world better, and now, oh, clearly the kingdom is moving. But we think the kingdom is determined by how our families are, how, how, how life is, how our finances are, how situations are. Basically, whatever's obvious... Whatever is obvious, it must be the kingdom. And Jesus is saying, Luke is saying, listen, this kingdom that is powerful, mighty, invincible, and triumphant, it's never going to be something obvious to you. You know where you're going to see it? You're going to see it wherever Jesus, the crucified king, is being proclaimed and believed in the hearts and souls of his people. Wherever Jesus triumphed by his work for us, not because of us, wherever that's being preached, proclaimed and received and believed and enjoyed by his people in the spirit. This is where the kingdom of God is being manifested. Regardless of how White House is, America is, neighborhoods are, situations are, whatever it is, beloved, 
you know, the king, you know, you know those people that are, there's two kinds of rich people in the world. One kind of rich person, they like are filthy rich and they drive a, 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 a Honda Accord. You met people like that? Those people that got real money. And then there's people that got like some of good jobs. They got, you know, they make like 100K. They're not really rich. And they're driving around in like, you know, like a $60,000 car. Beloved, which, 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 which one of those wealthy, which one of those people embodies what the church is? We're the rich, richest, wealthiest, most triumphant, I'm spiritually speaking, people on the planet, and it's, and we, and we driving around in our Honda Accords. It's not obvious to the world. The kingdom of God is not this visibly obvious thing. It's this Christ-focused, faith-focused, church-focused thing. Here's my last point about why this kingdom is so awesome before I move to some application. Here's why this kingdom is so great. It's about our inability and God's divine enablement. It's about our inability and God's divine enablement. So nobody say, it's about our inability and how God makes us able. Look what it says in verse 4. While he was together with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise. This, he said, is what you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. You guys, are you familiar with what I just said? When did we, when did we, when did we read something like this where Jesus said, wait and don't do anything because you can't do anything yet? You read that last week. You guys forgot already? Remember Luke 24? Look, look, it says in Luke 24. Let me go there. Luke 24 says, look, I'm sending to you, verse 49, what the Father promised. As for you, stay in the city until you're empowered from on high. So, Luke, at the last chapter of his first account, he says, don't do anything until, and talk about Jesus, don't do anything until you're empowered by somebody else. And then he starts Acts chapter 1, and he says it again. Isn't that weird? You know what, if if I'm one of these disciples, you know what I'm thinking? Hey, hey, Jesus, we was with you for three years. We had dope seminary. Right? Be ready. You, you already commissioned us, actually, multiple times, you know. Uh, you commissioned us. You gave us our titles. You gave us, you know, like, come on, Jesus. Like, like, why, why is it that we can't go out now and just do whatever you want us to do for your name's sake? Because <laughs> Jesus is saying to us, beloved, this kingdom is not about what things that we acquire and have in ourselves and that we can then could put trust in. But this kingdom is about how people who have nothing at all need to be empowered by somebody great. Let me give you a, a really practical illustration for me. Um, I, I went to L.A. for four years to get prepared for ministry. So I went to a very challenging seminary, um, you know, got a really good education, got a really big brain, you know, learned Greek, learned Hebrew, learned theology. And on top of that, I got all this ministry experience. You know, I got international. I, I work with churches in Belarus, Ukraine, Peru, Guatemala. I got all this international experience. And I worked in a church in L.A. I got all this. And so I'm coming to Miami like, all right, Jesus, what you going to call me to do? Because I got it. I got it all. I got more theology than the average pastor in Miami. That's not hard, by the way. We're the most untheological city I've ever seen in my life. And I say that in all sincerity. I got all this experience. Oh, John MacArthur's, you know, education. And you know what, you know, you know what my life has been like for the last four years here? 
God, it's, it's like I came here, I came here with this, with all this stuff, and God was like, just turn it upside down and emptied it out through weakness after weakness after weakness after weakness after weakness after weakness. And what is God, what was God saying to me? All that stuff you got, I have no use for it unless it's empowered by the Spirit of God working through a brick, a weak, broken, and shattered man who has no hope in himself. So you come in here with your credentials, and I'm pouring them out, and then when I pour them out, I can use you because the Spirit of God must empower us to the kingdom of God with our nothingness, not our somethingness. There's too much of us in the church. There's too much impressiveness. Oh, man, you know what? That guy's going to make it because he's got a really big brain. He's really articulate. He's really gifted. Oh, and look at his resume. He has 30 years of experience doing this, that, or the other. Oh, man, you're going to do it, right? Right? Oh, he's going to make it because he's got a really big group of people. He's got 200. He doesn't have 100. He got 200. Actually, that guy's got 400 people. He's going to make it, right? No, that guy's going to make it. Because you know what, man? When he goes to staff meeting at the end of the year, his budget says cha-ching, 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 cha-ching. He going to make it, right? Or in Miami, who, who is, oh, the anointed man of God, right? El ungido de Dios. Tengo la unción, la gloria. He's going to make it, right? What is Jesus saying to us? What, what is the kingdom citizenship movement defined by? It's defined by people to say, I have all this gifting, I have all this knowledge, I have all these resources, I have, and it's nothing apart from your empowering grace. I have nothing apart from the Holy Spirit sovereignly working. You are everything. I am nothing. Jesus, break me, use me. This is what this kingdom is about. It's about him empowering us in our nothingness, not the compelling strategy, compelling vision, the compelling this, the compelling that, but it's you seeing, beloved, all that you have and realizing that I can do nothing with these things apart from the Spirit of God's grace intervening. Let me give you two small pictures. It's, you know, you know the picture of a, of, of a family that has a, a, a wayward child and they've tried everything possible to make that child kind of be in a better situation and, and that person gets before God and says, I can't do anything to resolve this. Or the person who's been in a marriage that's difficult and they've tried everything possible and it just doesn't work and it's like, I can't do anything at all to restore this. God's saying, this is where you need to be. This is where I work. This is where I move. This is where the kingdom of Christ is advanced. Why? That's why Paul wrote 2 Corinthians 12, 1 to 10. Power is perfected in what? Weakness. Therefore, I most gladly boast in distresses, persecutions, trials for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Isn't this good news, beloved? <laughs> I don't know about you, because I'm always experiencing weakness here. Weakness in the home. And God's like, you know what's great about this kingdom? It's not dependent upon you. It's not defined by you. It's actually defined by how much you can regularly see that anything that you have in yourself means nothing. And you regularly find yourself relying on me and what I have. So let me, let me do some application. Let me turn around and do some quick applications before we conclude. 
So let's go back to some of these points. So the, if the kingdom is all about done, how done is still doing all the doing, the kingdom is all about how what Jesus did is still doing stuff, then we should be reflective people, not reactive ones. We should be reflective people first, not reactive ones first. Let me give you an example. Um, I, I, I get to talk with lots of people in Miami, um, and when someone is dealing with something like an addiction issue as a Christian, or a relational issue as a, as a Christian, um, or a self-esteem depression issue as a Christian. Now, I'm not talking about the physical side of things. I'm talking about the spiritual side of things. What typically I hear people say is like, all right, here's what you're going to do to be delivered from whatever that is. So there's some kind of reaction to the problem that I need to figure out. But beloved, what is Acts telling us? What is Luke telling us? What you need to understand is how what Jesus has done is now informing that situation and working in that situation, not some other deliverance, some other rescue, some other thing. You need to understand how what has been done is still doing. Make sense? It's like I hear Christians all the time, oh, I need deliverance, I need rescue, I need healing. What do you think happened on the cross? Was that not rescue? Was that not the deliverance? By his what were healed? By his wounds were healed? Jesus saying, what you need to do, beloved, is go back to that event and understand how that event now in the present is doing things in your problems. Reflecting on the reality of God's grace and how it's still. We should be reflective people, not just reactive people. Here's another thing. If the kingdom is about spirit and speech, we should be word-competent people. We should be word-competent people. We shouldn't be, listen, we shouldn't be people like, oh, I'm not that smart. I'm not that smart. I'm not that biblically smart. You know, I hear, I hear you guys say, oh, I'm not Aldo. You know what? You don't need to be Aldo. As a matter of fact, if you were Aldo, this whole church would burn to the ground. You need to be you. Oh, you know, Miami is so worldly. It's so worldly. Look at people. Like, they're just, they're so hard of heart. The soil is so hard. Beloved, what's most important is about the word about the king that the Spirit uses, not how hard and broken and dysfunctional Miami is. It doesn't matter. Oh, my husband is like this, and my kids are like this, and, and this person is like this. Beloved, we should be people that should be saying, what is the power of God's word in Christ the Spirit uses? We shouldn't be having all these excuses based upon how this disqualifies that. We should be word-focused people instead of being excuse-focused people. Because Acts is telling us about how the kingdom is defined by the Spirit and the Word working. If the kingdom is about Christ and new man, beloved, we should be personal in our religion. If the kingdom is about Christ, we should be personal in our religion. Which means, what, what is the good news that we're giving people? It's Christ, right? The good news we're giving people is not a better life. It's not relief from this or that problem or the other. It's Christ. Because the good news is personal. What about discipleship? What is discipleship about? Hey, I'm going to, now you're a Christian. Now let me give you all these behaviors you need to do. No, beloved. Christianity is personal in the sense that now I'm going to show you Christ, connect you to Christ, engage your heart with Christ, and as you know Christ, trust Christ, enjoy Christ, you, tr you can then live your Christian life out of Christ. 
the love of discipleship, the church, everything we're doing is utterly personal. It's personal. Or even like, let me give you another example. A couple comes to you, a couple comes to you and, and they're, and they're struggling in their marriage. And you know, they tell you like, like, pastor, you know, my, my problem is, is like, he, he's, he, he doesn't love me. That's my problem. And then, and then, and then the, the husband comes over there and he says, yeah, you know what her problem is? She's always complaining. She don't respect me. And typically what, 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 what will happen in those scenarios is we'll try to figure out who's more faulty than the other. And then we'll try to kind of like tell you, hey, you should, you should, you should tweak this and you should tweak this and then kind of come together, right? But beloved, if the kingdom is personally focused on Christ, how do we see that situation? How do we see it? Hey, God is using both of you guys butting heads to show yourselves that you both are not Jesus and you can't rely on each other as your Messiah and that you should, and God is using this conflict to bring you to see the need for Christ, the glory of Christ, the preeminence of Christ, the necessity of Christ. This whole situation is not about you guys resolving it. That's not the point. The point is God is using this to show you how glorious Jesus is as you struggle with each other. Or how about singleness? What is singleness about? Jesus, give me my deliverance from my singleness. Hallelujah. No, beloved, singleness is about how God uses loneliness and smallness of those kinds of things to show you how wonderfully preeminent and sufficient and good Christ is in your loneliness. Everything is Christ-focused, personal focus, not just results-focused. It's got the bigger picture. I'll say a few more things about application. The kingdom has been given to us means we should be God-centered people and not pragmatic people. We should be God-centered people, not pragmatic people. Listen, if Christ accomplished the kingdom, if he earned the kingdom, we don't achieve it, we don't bring it about, we don't, we can't, it's just given to us, then what should we do as Christians? We should do whatever God wants, right? You can't, <laughs> you know what's me? People get up in a, people get up in a pulpit and they try to be really clever and cute for Jesus because they think it's going to create something for the kingdom. Let me tell you something. No man's cleverness has ever done anything with the kingdom of God. The only reason that kingdom work has actually been accomplished and unleashed is because God wanted to. So if God can only bring about the kingdom, if he can only unleash the kingdom, then it's not my job to try to manipulate situations, whether it's a one-on-one situation, whether it's a church situation. My job is to do whatever God wants, say, God, you are the sovereign one who must do it, not to be some sort of like this idea that the church can somehow manipulate the kingdom of God and bring it about. No, beloved. People all the time say, say things like, hey, at your church, you don't, how come you don't do an altar call every Sunday? And you don't make people walk up and repeat words and, and then pronounce them say, why don't you do that? Because I can't save people, that's why. I can't save people. Who you know, you know who can save people? Christ can. So I preach about Christ, exalt Christ, and the Holy Spirit of God uses those means to work in the heart. And let me say a few more things. We're wrapping up here. The kingdom has arrived, beloved. We should be humble and simple people. Listen, you guys realize something? You've already arrived. The kingdom's already, you're already a part of the kingdom. You've already been seated with the king. You've already been exalted with the king. You're already a part of the kingdom. You know what that means? That all these little things that we're always doing to build some sort of future hope based upon what we do and some sort of career thing, personal thing, relational thing, all those things, they don't matter. 
in the bigger picture, right? Why? You've already arrived in the kingdom. You're never going to go any higher than you're going to go in the kingdom. So now you can do things in life. You can work. You can be a mom. You can be a dad. You can do all sorts of stuff in light of the fact that you're already a part of the kingdom. You've already arrived as opposed to thinking that you're going to find a place to sleep and rest and really feel comfortable based upon whatever building project you're engaged in. Make sense? It's already here, beloved. The king has already brought you into the kingdom. There's nothing that you can do that will add to it. So you can actually, you know what's amazing? Like I, I can I can be a pastor of a church without thinking that I have to build this little me kingdom to feel better about myself. Why? Because I'm already a part of the kingdom, beloved. So now I can be simple and humble and faithful. Why? Because I'm already in. I've, it's already been given to me. There's one more thing I'll say about the kingdom arriving. Uh, beloved, we should be discerning people. We should be discerning people. If the kingdom is invisible, beloved, it's not obvious. It's not something we could see very clearly. It's invisible. We should be discerning people. So here, let me give you a very practical example. One time, somebody came up to me, and they were talking about uh, um, Joyce Meyer. Um, and uh, and there was, and this is a lady I really care about. And she's like, and I was explaining to her, like, the, the, the serious concerns with her theology. Not just me being nitpicky and being like, I don't like them because they... And she was like, she, 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 she said, Pastor, pero ese ministerio es tan grande. She said, that ministry is so big. Like, how, how, could it, how could it not be of the Lord? And you know what she was doing? She was thinking that the kingdom of God is very obvious, very visible, very somewhat hurrah, hurrah. And she wasn't thinking, man, if the kingdom is invisible, then I should probably be discerning and questioning things based upon how they're connected to Christ or not, as opposed to just seeing the obvious, right? Aren't we people of the obvious in America? You walk into a restaurant because there's a line outside and the food stinks. Why? Because it's obvious. So we should be discerning people. We should be careful people. We should be thoughtful people, not just going into the obvious. And here's like one, I, I lied. There was one more thing I need to say about application. Beloved, if the kingdom is about inability and divine enablement, um, then, then we should be upside down people. What I mean by upside down people is that all of a sudden, all the things in our life that make us discouraged because we're, we hit a wall become reasons to, to see it as a positive. So for example, you're like, I've tried everything possible to deal with my self-esteem issues and I have nowhere to go. Everything has failed. Is that a win or a lose in light of the kingdom being about inability and being enabled by Christ? I've tried everything possible in this marriage to get it to go where I'm going, and I can't do it. Any, I, I can't figure it out. Is that a positive or negative in the kingdom? I've done everything possible in this church or in this small group or in this ministry to bring this about, and I've hit every single ceiling possible. Is that a positive or negative in light of what the kingdom is about? Look, but you know what? You know, you know what's amazing. Uh, now you can walk into every room in your life and see the mess. And rather than see it as something to be depressed, anxious, angry about the messiness, you can now be like, this is another situation where the power of God's enabling grace to someone who can't figure it out and can't do it can now be manifested so that God can be glorious in my life. So when people be like, hey, what's the key to your marriage, Christ? Hey, man, what's the key to your ministry, Christ? Hey, man, what's the key to your personal, you know, hopefulness and joy, Christ? As opposed to the people that, how they answer that question. 
well, the key to my marriage is like me and my wife. We just really like, you know, we were really good to each other and we did what we were supposed to do. And, or the key to this church, I just was, no, no. Man, when we see all these holes of emptiness in our lives that bring us to an end, they're opportunities to understand the power and necessity and glory of Christ. We're upside down people, not right side up people. So let me pray and move us to the table and next Sunday we'll do part two. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that we are a part of this kingdom that is doing still because of what has been done. We're a part of this kingdom that's all about what you say to us by the power of your spirit. Thank you, Jesus, that it's about what you say to us, not what we think about ourselves, but what you say. Thank you, Jesus, that it's all about it having arrived already. You have brought us into it. We're there because of Christ. We're not seeking to build and arrive. We're, we're there. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord, that it's about the invisibility of Christ and your people who trust you and not all the confusing, humanistic, obvious, Lord God. Thank you for this kingdom. Thank you that we're a part of it, Lord. Help us to live in light of it the way we're supposed to live because of it. In Jesus' name, amen. That concludes our message, and we hope that you were inspired by it. If you'd like to hear more about the gospel or find out more about Reconciled Church Miami, please connect with us using one of the ways listed on our website, reconcilechurchmiami.org.